we are going to continue our foundation series where you're looking at 12 different doctrines that are foundational to the Christian faith. So far, we've seen, uh, we take a look at the doctrine of creation, the doctrine of providence, and the doctrine of anthropology, the doctrine of man. And uh, you, might, you might ask, why are you not taking a look at the doctrine of God, or what's called theology proper? Well, the reason for that is that recently we've had a series on that, and also we're going to sprinkle that throughout the series as we look at different, uh, uh, different aspects of these doctrines, including uh, in our series on uh, Malachi, in a series on 1 John, we're gonna, uh, the, the, who God is is going to be coming through those, uh, those um, series as well. So today, we're going to, to start looking at the doctrine of God. I did say it's 12 doctrines. I, did not, I don't think I said it's 12 Sundays, right? I said 12 doctrines. So uh, the doctrine of the Word is going to take a little more than uh, one, maybe two or three Sundays um, for us to look at it. It's a very foundational doctrine. It's worth taking our time to do that. And the doctrine of the Word, some call it bibliology. That's, traditionally, that's not really a term used. Uh, but these days has been a, uh, is used quite a bit. Uh, I prefer just saying the doctrine of the word. Is how did we get the Bible? What is the Bible? How did it come up? Um, what should be in the Bible? And so on. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And we're going to be looking at the idea of revelation. Not the book of revelation, the last book of the canon, but just the idea of revelation itself. What is revelation? And so on. And... Uh, uh, and then, Lord willing, we're going to then take a look at the authority of the Scriptures, but we'll see how far we get there. Now, the word revelation carries with it the idea of unveiling of something not known before. When something is revealed, it wasn't known before, and it's being unveiled uh, to those to whom that message is intended. In the theological sense, revelation denotes God's Revealing his character, purpose, and will to his creation. The, the manifestation of God is something that he initiates, not something that men themselves find. So revelation is God's unveiling of himself to creation as a whole, initiated by him, because otherwise we would not be able to know God. Our confession says that, that in chapter 7, uh, where it says that though it is our duty to know who God is, if He had not initiated and revealed Himself to us, we would never have on our own figured out who He, he was. So not only did God create us in His image, but also out of His infinite mercy and compassion, He chose to reveal, to disclose Himself to us, and, which He didn't have to do. You know, we, we take for granted that we know God, but God did not have to reveal Himself to us. It's out of His mercy, compassion, and grace that He does that for us. The, uh, David writes this, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Uh, you have heavens revealing God, and you have little David... Um, probably still as a shepherd boy, maybe laying on a grassy hill in the evening as the sheep are uh, laying down on the green pasture and he looks up 
in the dark night in the Judean wilderness, and he sees all the stars and the planets and the moon, and he recognizes, because that God had opened his eyes, that God is, made all that. Those are God's stars. Those are God's heavens. And they speak about God. And then he says, but we are so little. We are nothing. And yet you chose to reveal yourself to us there. The uh, Encyclopedia, Encyclopedia of Early Christianity defines uh, Revelation as this. Humanity discovers God only as he chooses to make himself known. More than just the providing of information about who God is and what he, has, he does, Revelation is in, an encounter with God and thus has a redemptive purpose. And I would add, has a redemptive purpose or a damning purpose. Does it make sense? Uh, because the, the, the heavens declare the, God, the glory of God, and if we don't respond to that sort of revelation, which everybody is able to see, then condemnation is the result. Even with the preaching of the gospel, remember what Paul says in the, in, in the Corinthian letters, that he preaches the gospel to all people, and the gospel always has an aroma, has a smell, and to some is the aroma of life, and to some is the aroma of death there. Now, Revelation is that. So Revelation is the disclosing of God, but it's important that although the Scriptures are the revelation of God, is the disclosing of God, we must not lose sight that everything that the Scriptures say happened actually happened. Why am I saying that? One of the most influential theological movement of the 20th century said that what mattered is that the Bible revealed God, not that the Bible was a historically accurate book. It didn't, it didn't matter if Jesus actually lived. It didn't matter if Jonah actually was eaten by a big fish. It didn't matter if Abraham really left Ur of the Chaldees into Palestine. What really matters is those things disclose God. And that's not what the Bible says about itself. The Bible says that it is accurate. It is a revelation, disclosing of God, but in accurate terms. It actually happened. This, this theological movement that I'm describing is one that became known as neo-orthodoxy. Uh, Karl Barth, Rudolf Boltmann, uh, Emil Brunner will be the three biggest names. Um, Bonhoeffer, the one that everybody's schooled to quote, had he not died the way he did, he would be listed with the heretics because he was also, he didn't believe in the inspiration of the scriptures, he didn't believe in the uh, historically accuracy of the, the scriptures and so on. And uh, what they said is that what, me, what, just me, what, what is important is that it reveals God, not that it, things actually happened. And that's not what the Bible teaches. Any questions before we continue? All right. So, and God... God's revelation comes to us through covenants. He chose to do that um, uh, in that way. We're going to set aside for a moment the idea of general revelation. We're not, not going to talk about creation as, as a display of God and so on. We're just going to focus on God's special revelation found in His Word, and particularly through uh, His covenants. Uh, John Battle, the uh, uh, theology and New Testament professor at Western Forum Seminary, says... A remarkable thing about the way God has revealed himself to us is that he has never given us exoteric lectures about his person to satisfy our intellectual curiosity. But he always has addressed us 
in the context of our responsibility to, responsibilities to him and his promises or threats to us. In other words, his revelation has come to us in the form of covenant. Do you, do you realize that the Bible that doesn't spend a lot of time talking about who God is? I don't know if you ever thought about that. There's a very small percentage of the Bible that talks about who God actually is. The Bible itself begins with the assumption of God, doesn't it? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He doesn't say, in the beginning, there was this being, and this being was awesome. And this is, it just starts with the assumption that God exists. Our confession acknowledges that in chapter 7, paragraph 1, says the distance between God and the creature is so great that although reasonable creatures do owe obedience unto Him as their Creator, yet they could never have any fruition of Him as their blessedness and reward, but by some voluntary condescension of God's part, which He hath been pleased to express by way of covenant. So He expressed Himself, reveals Himself in the way He deals with us and with Himself. That's the idea of covenant. So, we, we find this revelation of God in the covenant of grace, the kind of covenant of redemption, the covenant of works, the covenant with Adam, which is the covenant of works, the Noahic covenant, the covenant with Abraham, Moses, the, the covenant with David, the new covenant. All these are revelation, revelation of who God is, his being, his character, and what he expresses uh, uh, and what he expects of us. If you want to read more about this, there's a great book written by old Palmer Robertson called Christ of the Covenants. And I recommend that you read that uh, book. I got to meet him once, a super humble guy, and uh, he was talking about the confession, and uh, a pastor, a well-known pastor asked him, "Uh, don't you think that the confession allows for any other view of creation other than uh, you know, young earth, seven, six literal days of creation and so on. And his response was highly theological. He said, only if you are out of your mind. That's how, that was his response to uh, that pastor. So God reveals himself by way of covenant. Revelation is, uh, it, the revelation process happened in the scriptures by way of covenant. God made a covenant with, with Adam called the covenant of works or the covenant of creation. And the Lord God himself, the second person of the Trinity, later on we're going to know him as the Lord Jesus Christ, revealed himself to Adam and Eve walking in the Garden of Eden. Isn't that what happens there? That God revealed himself to Adam and Eve by walking with him, with them and saying, these are the things you must do. This is, these are how, this is how I'm going to bless you. This is what's going to happen if you don't obey uh, me and so on. And in that covenant, God revealed himself to, to them. By the way, every time that God speaks to somebody in the way that uh, they can that, there is, that they can understand God with his senses, like vision, auditory, and so on, is the second person of the Trinity, the Son, speaking. He is the agent of revelation in that way. He is the one that speaks and talks and reveals God as a whole to to them. And that we know that because in Colossians. It says that he is the expressed image of the Godhead. He's the one that reveals the Godhead to us. And right after that, what happens? Man's fall, man falls, and the Lord then came looking for them, immediately ready to proclaim what? 
you're going to go to hell, there's nothing you can do about it, you're done. No, we came ready to proclaim redemption and in the covenant of redemption. It's interesting, and whenever tragedy occurred, God would speak. Do you notice that, that pattern in the Old Testament? Whenever tragedy occurred, God would speak, and immediately God intervened to begin the process of redemption there, in, uh, even in the garden. But look at this. We have the seed, right, that was given to the woman. The process of redemption begins with that seed in Genesis 3.15. We have the seed of the woman is going to crush Satan's head. And from that seed, a race comes, the Shemites. Remember, after uh, the issue with, with uh, Noah, uh, the oldest son was cursed, so Shem became the one that would, through whom God would choose a people. And from the race, a, a, an heir, Abraham, who was a Shemite, and uh, eventually we dropped the age and became a Semite. Uh, Abraham, who was a pagan, was called out of Ur, of the Chaldeans, and it was promised to, that the God through him would bless all the nations. And from Abraham a nation came, Israel. And from Israel, the kingly tribe, Judah. You can see that in Genesis 49. And then from the kingly tribe, the family. The family of Jesse. And from the family, the seed of Abraham and David would come. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And from that, the gospel will go to the world not just to a nation, not just to a family, not just to a clan, but to the whole world. And all that is found in that one little promise of Genesis 3.15, that through the seed of the woman, the head of Satan would be crushed in the covenant of redemption. And God, so God is revealing himself through these dealings with people. And as we move on in history, we have got the covenant with Noah, uh, some have called it the covenant of preservation, where the world is going to be pres- preserved. The seed needs to be preserved. Even though there is widespread wickedness, that seed that was promised to Adam and Eve needs to be preserved. So God destroys the whole world, but He saves eight people to be uh, the beginning of His new uh, recreation there. And as history moves on, we have the covenant of, covenant of promise with Abraham. And um, remember what happens right before Abraham is brought into the picture? Remember how Genesis is structured there? What's happening in chapters 10 and 11 of Genesis? We have a genealogy in chapter 11, but in chapter 10 we have a, the Tower of Babel, right? And what, what are people doing there? What are people trying to do in the Tower of Babel? They want to reach out. They want to be gods, right? The same thing, the same temptation that Satan brought to Adam and Eve in the garden. People are at it again. We're going to build up this structure, this tower, probably a ziggurat. You know what a ziggurat is? The the stepping pyramid sort of thing. We're going to build this up so that we can reach the heaven on our own. We don't need God. We're going to do this on our own. Then God comes... It's interesting that uh, the pastor says that he came down, like he said, oh, look, what is this tiny little thing they're building here, hoping that they can reach all the way up uh, to heaven, and then splits them by language. And from there, the following genealogy lists at least 70 nations that follows that uh, division there. But then what does he do after tragedy? 
promise comes with the calling of Abraham to be the one through whom that seed is going to come. And through him, through his seed, seed all nations. These nations that have been recently... These, uh, and we think of nations, let's not think of UN and countries as we have today, but all these ethnic groups that have been created right there in chapter 10 and 11 are going to be blessed um, through, through Abraham there. So we see that developing now by way of covenant with the covenant of Abraham. God revealing himself, how he deals with people, how he deals with nations, how he deals with redemption by the way of covenant. So in Genesis 12, we have Abraham being called. And then in Genesis uh, 15, more information is given to us. In Genesis 17, more is given to us. In Genesis 22, we have this progression of covenant revelation happening in Genesis. More and more we get to know God as he gives us more details of the Abrahamic covenant. And in time, we have the, the, the family of Abraham has grown into what becomes Israel. And there is need for, the, uh, the time comes for the nation of Israel to receive its inheritance. And then we have this revealing time of God. God discloses more of him through the covenant with Moses, the Mosaic covenant, uh, his holiness, uh, the requirements for worship, uh, uh, who are his people, how are his people identified, what are the ceremonies that he requires, and so on. And again, in the Mosaic covenant, God reveals himself more to us. We get to know God more. And as it continues, we have then the typical Christ in David, and God makes a covenant of the kingdom, and God formally establishes how he will rule among his people. And in doing that, what is he doing? He's revealing more of his character. I am a king. See, David, flawed man, yes, after my own heart, but an adulterer, a murderer, uh, and so on. And there are ways that I'm like him, but there are ways that I'm not like him. And in that Davidic covenant, he reveals himself to, to us as well. And then the new covenant which is a combo of all prior covenants and goes beyond them, the ultimate revelation that God gives us. The seed of the woman, of Shem, of Abraham, of Judah, of David, is Christ, which is ultimately the greatest revelation, God in the flesh. And God, then you can see how he reveals us, he reveals himself to us as he deals with us in, throughout the scriptures by way of covenant. Any questions before we continue? All right. Then the ultimate revelation of God is the incarnation, is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And we see Him in the Old Testament, in the New, that Christ is the Creator in Genesis chapter 1. Um, and, and, and we know that because John 1 1 through 5 tells us that He was the agent of creation. We see Jesus present as the Shekinah glory in the Old Testament. How do we know that? Remember uh, what John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt with us. And then how does it go? And we beheld His glory. Shekinah means dwelling. It is the glory of God displayed in the, in the tabernacle and then later on in the temple. And Jesus was that glory. Christ veiled the Old Testament as the ladder to heaven. Remember that vision that Jacob had? In John 1, 47 through 51, that's made clear to, that's Christ, and so on. And 
then Christ, as the final revelation, revealed the Father, His person, His teaching, and His works. And you see that throughout the Gospels that Christ is doing that. And He Himself was the final revelation. If you grab your Bible for a second and turn to Revelation chapter 1. The book of Revelation chapter 1. Look what it says in verses 1 through 3. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place, and he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the Lord, uh, to the word of God, and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of his prophecy, and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. And then drop down to verse 9 of that same chapter. <clears throat> I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and what you see write in a book, and send it to seven churches, which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea, and so on. And then if you drop down to verse 17, and if you have a red, we're going to start reading on the red letters. Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which you are and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars and so on. And Christ keeps on pointing to himself being the first and the last. The beginning and the end. The final revelation of God. And we, no one can know God apart from knowing Jesus Christ who is the ultimate and final revelation of God. Any questions on that? Okay, how did God reveal himself? Now we're talking about the different modes of revelation. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says that long ago and many in, in, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So what are some ways that God spoke? Like literally, what are the modes that God used to give us the revelation that we have in the Bible? Rick? Dreams, okay, what else? Visions, okay, what else? Tilly. Okay, speaking audibly, yes, what else? Direct speech, we're going to call that. What else? Through angels, yes, what else? Prophets, yes, what else? Doug? The angel of the Lord is a different category than angels, Andrew? Through a donkey, yes. What else? Huh? The burning bush, yes. Um, though we'll probably put that on a direct speech, right? Uh, there. Yeah. Let's see. Yes, Rick. Are you also referring to his creation? Now remember, at the very beginning, I said we're not focusing on creation. We're just focusing on 
a special revelation. So, he spoke through direct speech. Oop, did I lose it? Direct speech, right? He spoke to Adam. See that in Genesis 1. He spoke to Cain in Genesis 4. He spoke to Noah in Genesis 6 and 9. He spoke to Abraham throughout. He spoke to Moses. He spoke to Samuel. He spoke to Jesus. So he spoke directly. So he used direct speech to reveal himself. He spoke through... Oh, I lost you guys. No wonder. Sorry. Let me see if I can get to that. He spoke through theophanies, which is the, the, um, just the appearance of God in the Old Testament, especially the angel of the Lord. Um, the th- second person of the Trinity. So when the angel of the Lord expressions used, when you see what people do and what the angel accepts, it, we are left to the conclusion that that's God himself. For example, the angel of the Lord appears to, um, to um, Samson's parents, right? And they offer him sacrifice. And he accepts that worship. Angels don't do that. Remember Revelation when John dropped down to worship that angel? They don't go, oh, no, 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 I'm just a servant like you are. Don't do that. And yet the angel of the Lord always accepted um, um, worship. So the angel of the Lord himself is a pre-incarnate appearance of the second person of the Trinity, uh, the one that later on we'll call the Lord Jesus Christ. And that angel appeared to Abraham, to Jacob, to Moses, to Joshua, to Gideon, Samson's parents. So we could say this is direct speech as well, but it's a different modality. It's not like a voice coming from heaven and not being able to see anything. There's some other senses involved in that uh, when a theophany is, is involved. But dreams also, somebody mentioned that. Uh, Joseph had dreams. Remember the, how these brothers were super annoyed about his, his dreams. Uh, Pharaoh had dreams. Who else had dreams in the Bible that are, are kind of highlighted? Nebuchadnezzar, yes. Lois, you're doing so well today. Uh, <laughs> no strikes. Yes. Uh, who else? I think I heard another name. Jacob, yes. Daniel. Daniel, yes. Joseph. In the, in the New Testament, Joseph, uh, Mary's husband as well. Another category is trances and visions. Can you think of any... any uh, anybody that was given a vision or a trance in the Bible? Peter. Peter, yes. Well, I heard another name. Samuel in the middle of the night, yes. We're not sure if it was a vision or, or actually a direct speech because um, it seems like he was awake when he got that. John, is that the side of John? Yes. Ezekiel, yes. Isaiah, right, in Isaiah chapter 6, there as well. Uh, Paul uh, is said to have a vision of Christ. Remember, nobody else saw that when it was going on, so it was a, a vision and so on. Uh, angels, that, that, other than the angel of the Lord. Abraham, in, that, in, in Genesis 18, had angels speaking to him. Daniel, in Daniel 9, remember that, there was angels speaking to him. Zechariah and Mary. Both of them. Uh, the woman at Jesus' tomb, Peter, Cornelius, all these 
angels came and spoke to them. One category that we didn't mention, nobody mentions the priests. God spoke to the priests as well. Remember, there was a device that we really don't know exactly what it was, called the Urim and the Thummim, that the priest carried. And uh, you could ask, seems like, closed and questions, like yes or no, should I do this? Yes or no? And somehow they'll get guidance from the Lord through the Urim and the Thummim there. Some have, divided, some have thought there was maybe some sort of pocket with two, two stones, one for yes, one for no, and whatever one came up will be the answer. Who knows? And then, uh, if you remember Numbers chapter 5, there was this test that every time we read, most of us read it, probably rubs us wrong, about the woman that is brought, there's an accusation of adultery brought against her, and the priest is supposed to concoct a a potion kind of and from with the dirt from the floor of the tabernacle yes yeah, and and so on and that's again God speaking through the priests there I don't think anybody mentioned the, oh no there was a mention that prophets and that's too many to list right the examples in the Bible of God speaking through prophets and then in the Bible we have mentions of acts of providence being uh, revelation of God, of His speaking to us. Can you think of acts of providence that in the Bible, not in um, extra biblical history, no, outside of the Bible history, but in the Bible, where acts of providence are said, this is done as part of revelation of who God is? Manna? What about manna? Manna, right, yes. And later on, uh, in, like in 1 Corinthians 10, it says that the manna is like the bread of the of the sacrament and so on. So, yes. What else? The flood. The flood, yes. The open the Red Sea. The open the Red Sea, as that's specifically mentioned in First Corinthians 10. What else? Plagues. Plagues, yes, is that what he said too? Yes. Um, is also mentioned later on as being an act of, as a providential act of God, but is an act of revelation as well. Um, there's even more kind of everyday non-miraculous looking things that are also mentioned in the Bible as acts of God's providence that were done in order to reveal something about God and something about man. In Job, the, uh, God's argument to Job is that he right. all of these created Yes, and he does, does creation and providence, right? Because it talks about the, also the, the birthing of calves and the goats. So. And then I, I, I'm really trying to get somebody to say Jonah. Jonah. Uh, thanks, Nick. Yes, yes. Remember the whole, the, uh, the vine, the worm, and those are all, they're, they're, God did those things, but he did it through the natural means. It's not, it was ordinary. And he's doing that to show something about himself and show something about Jonah. There as well. Yes, Tim. This is going to be good, guys. Moses holding his hand up and the day getting longer. So you have two passages conflated there. The day longer was Joshua, but the 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 the, the hand up was the battle over the, the with the Amalekites and and uh, uh, Ur and Aaron hold up the hands up of Moses. They have him sit on a rock, has his hands up, and as long as the hands are up. There's battle. Uh, they're winning. When it goes down, they lose. Up, they win, and so on. Yes. And Joshua is the one with the uh, day getting longer. Carol. 
Yes, like Gideon's, Gideon's casting. So right now we're not talking about things happening outside of the, uh, of the Bible, like evidence from the Bible. And, and Gideon with the fleece, which is a sort of casting of lots, directing him and so on. Though I don't recommend that, but that was one way that God revealed what Gideon should do there. And then ultimately the Lord Jesus Christ is a final revelation. That's how God speaks to us today, through him. Uh, again, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, remember the New Testament ex- uh, describes our time from the resurrection of Christ to the second coming, the last days. And we're living in those last days. So in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And all of this resulted in the Bible. All these things we've been talking about resulted in the Bible. Any questions before we continue? Uh, Jerry, almost called you Ken. You didn't mention the Holy Spirit as a form of revelation. Is that included in all of that? Yes, so the, the, the Holy Spirit... So the, the, the Holy Spirit applies God's revelation and he also opens the eyes of people to see that and he also superintends the process by which we ended up with the Bible. So we're going to consider the Holy Spirit more when we talk about the inspiration of the Bible. Okay? All right. Lisa. Beyond just the, the audible, beyond just a voice, you know. Okay, so that, because it couldn't be the voice talking to Jesus if the voice was Jesus. Right, Cur- so the, so right, so in the Old Testament, prior to the incarnation, right, that's, that's any appearance of God would be the like sun. Writing on the wall and all of those yes. Okay. Though, the, yeah, the, the, the writing on the wall could be an angel or something, like it's not specified okay. there. All right, so we have 10 minutes. We'll start the next part. Scripture as revelation. So we talk about revelation, and we ended with saying that all of this that we've been talking about resulted in the Bible. So let's consider the Bible as revelation. Have you noticed that what kind of logical argument am I making here? Using the Bible to prove the Bible, which is a circular, which is also usually considered a logical fallacy. But why do we believe the Bible is the Word of God? Because the Bible says it's the Word of God, right? Uh, our confession says you can show the beauty of it. You can show how the, all the parts fit together. You can show how there's no mistakes in it. You can show how prophecies have been fulfilled, but ultimately... We believe that the Bible is the Word of God because it says the Word of God is a matter of faith to believe that a conviction by the Holy Spirit. But for those of us who are convicted of that, we can see from the Scriptures that the Bible is um, the, the Word of God. So it is a circular argument. Yes, Andrew. I read, I apologize, you make a distinction between, the, I think the phrase is a vicious 
circularity and then other type? Is that, are those categories that you're at all familiar with? No. Um, but the definition of circular argument is to use the thing to prove itself. So that, that's the, the classic definition of a circular argument. Well, God has spoken to mankind in many different ways. The things that God said and the events that surround them are documented in the scriptures. But what about the scriptures themselves? Are they the word of God? right? And that's where the circular argument comes in. We're going to use the Bible to show that the Bible considers itself the word of God. It is a doctrine that's of major importance. I hope you see that, that the Bible is the word of God. Every true Christian should believe that the Bible is the word of God, but in what way are we, are the scriptures the word of God? Uh, there are people that say it, they're the word of God in different ways. Like uh, Some say that it contains the word of God. Like there are other things in here, and in the midst of those other things, you have the Word of God. Is that what the Bible teaches concerning itself? Others say that it is the Word of God as the Spirit works in you. So if you read John 1, if Lois reads John 1, and God speaks through her, to her through John 1, then John 1 is the Word of God to Lois. But if Nick reads 1 Chronicles 1 through 9, uh, and you can, maybe this afternoon, you can take the afternoon to read 1 Chronicles 1 through 9. If he reads 1 Chronicles 1 through 9, and God speaks through him to him through 1 Chronicles 1 through 9, then that's the word of God to Nick. And some say that's, that's what it means to, for the Bible to be the word of God. And we say, how can it be? But that's a very prevailing, prevailing view in evangelical circles. Now, oh, what does that mean to me? Whenever, it doesn't matter what it means to you. It, what, what does it mean? Period. Now, it may have different applications, but it only has one meaning. And that meaning is true whether you exist or not. So uh, that's important to keep that in, in mind. Um, so let's start by looking at the... Old Testament witness to itself. What does the Old Testament think of itself? It, it uses authoritative expressions. Uh, Thus says the Lord, or the Lord spoke, is used over 2,000 times in the Old Testament. The word of the Lord, just in Isaiah, is used over 20 times. The word of the Lord has, came unto me is throughout Jeremiah and Ezekiel. So you see that the Old Testament itself thought pretty highly of itself. It considered itself to be the very words of God. And we see also this uh, high regard for the words of the Old Testament in the commands to preserve the books. The, uh, God commanded Moses to place the stone tablets in the Ark of the Covenant and the rest of the books besides the Ark. And if these books were not the Word of God... Would God have allowed them in the ark, in the Holy of Holies? No, the, the, the very way that they were supposed to be preserved indicated what they thought of itself. Are, are you following me that, with that argument? You know, God wouldn't say, these books are junk, so be sure that you preserve them. That, that, that wouldn't make sense. 
look at the, also the, the, the law, the Torah, authority, and blessing. Throughout the, the, the first five books of the Bible, it, it keeps on saying, this is the word of God, this is the, the authority, you need to follow it, and if you do it, you have a blessing. For example, in Deuteronomy 17, you have there the prerequisites of being a king, and one of the things that he must write down the entire book of Deuteronomy by hand, and remember exactly what it says, because that's authoritative, he must live by it. So it considers itself to be authoritative and to have blessings uh, as well. The prophets in the Old Testament, they spoke authoritatively. Uh, <clears throat> um, for example, in 2 Kings 17, 13, it says, Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers that I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. That is, when the prophets spoke, it was God speaking, and they had authority, and when the people of God did not follow the prophets, they were punished, they were disciplined, they were cursed. So the prophets spoke with authority as well. So the Old Testament saw itself with great authority. It believed, the Old Testament believed that the Bible was the Word of God, that the Old Testament was the Word of God. Any questions on that? That's the last thing we're going to see uh, this morning. We'll start next week by saying, looking at the New Testament also thought that the Word Testament was the Word of God. Any questions or comments before we close? All right, let's pray then. Father in heaven, thank you that you are good to us, that you give us your Word. We pray that we would rejoice in it. We thank you that it is authoritative. Give us the grace to obey it. We thank you that it reveals you to us. We pray that you open our eyes to see more of you. For asking Jesus' name, amen.